Man, God is so faithful. See, I know you guys feel what I feel right now. Trying to bring it down a little bit. <laughs> it's a lot of glory. A lot of glory here on Mondays. A lot of glory in SUM MPI cohort. Got a lot of glory. Amen. Welcome. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, awesome. Welcome to MPI. Um, well, SUM MPI cohort. Thank you for everybody that's joining us online. Uh, my name is Lauren Sajanski, if you don't know me. I am the cohort advisor here. It's an honor to be able to lead these Bible college students. It's an honor that God has chosen me, someone that doesn't deserve it, yet by God's grace I stand before you today. And I know you guys feel the same thing for your lives and every opportunity that God has given to you. You know, some people, we have three people in the room that just came from a village, a Philippines missions trip. I tried to put missions and Philippines together. <laughs> Millipines, <laughs> yes. Philippines missions trip. And God is so faithful that he sent you guys there. And I know you have the same thing. Like when you were out there, I'm sure you had those feelings like, man, God chose me to do this. I get to do this with the Holy Ghost. Powerful, powerful what God is doing in our cohort and in our church. What I'm going to be talking about today is watch and pray. And one thing that has been on my heart so much lately is the importance of prayer in the disciples' life. And we all know in this room, because we're in a discipleship church, some of us are in 101, 201, elders, deacons, no matter what phase of discipleship you're in, this is a lesson that never ends. This is a lesson that we're constantly teaching to other people. This is a lesson that we are constantly trying to um, have in our own lives. And if we don't have it, if we're not a person of prayer, we can never teach someone else to be a person of prayer. Amen. And a lot of times people say or may think in their mind, it's kind of an elementary teaching prayer. But if it's so elementary, then why aren't people doing it? Right? So there's so many times I think in our lives where we could try to get the attention of people in our lives, maybe our pastors or others, like we want people's attention, we want their eyes focused on us, we maybe want them to give us a compliment or to tell us how great we are or any of that stuff. And I just want you to understand in this room that you already have the attention of the one that made all those people. You don't need anybody else's attention except for the audience of one, which is Jesus Christ, and you already have it. So don't neglect your prayer life. Don't neglect him. Embrace Jesus. Embrace him with everything that you have. And I have been so touched lately in my private time of prayer. And a lot of it has to do with maybe what David said in Psalms 8, like, who are we, like, of mankind that you are mindful of us? The creator of heaven and earth, the one that made the sun, the moon, the stars, the one that created man with a breath out of the dust of the air, I mean, out of dust of the earth, and yet 
here I am before your feet and you meet me in this place every single time and you touch my heart in such a real way and you change my life and you tell me the things that you love about me and you tell me the things that maybe I need to keep on working in and you're faithful every time to show up when I say, Jesus, I need you. And yet all I am is a piece of clay in your hand and all I am is dust from the earth and yet you still are faithful to come. You are still faithful to come every single time. Who am I, God, that you are mindful of me? That you want to be with me? That you call me friend? There's a saying that Leonard Ravenhill said, and he said, the secret to prayer is praying in secret. A lot of times, I think, in the church, we can get it mixed up because we want to bind everything, you know, every demon in hell. We want to bind the, <laughs> the, the power of darkness over our city, and we want to pray for healing over you, and we want to pray in public for our family to get saved, and we want to do that. But you can't bind and loose in public what you haven't started binding and loosing in private. If you're not praying for your family to get saved in private, why are you doing it in public? The Bible teaches that when you want to pray to go into a secret place and close the door and your heavenly father will meet you there and he will reward you in public what you've done in private. Then you will have the authority in public to bind, to loose because you're prepared, you're ready, you've been on your knees, you've met with Jesus. And I want you to understand that this, can you turn my mic down a little bit? It's like a, um, a ringing. Thank you. What I want us to understand in this room today, lost my train of thought there. Um, let's move on. Totally lost my train of thought with that ringing. All right. So there was last trimester when uh, there was a message about the spiritual versus the physical, right? And how we are so tempted sometimes to look at the physical world and look at the things that happen and not be able to see beyond that, the spiritual, what God is saying and we have to be able to see everything in the physical means something for the spiritual. And I was listening to David Ravenhill, and I love how he preaches because it's so practical. And he literally takes so many examples just from the physical world, relationships, everything you do. And he just makes them spiritual. And it's like, dude, never thought of it like that. And when I was thinking about God and communicating with God and praying with God and or praying to God and being with him and intimacy and all of those things. What was coming to my mind was in the physical, the relationships that I already have. We already know in scripture, the Bible talks about marriage and husband and wife. It's really just a picture of Christ and his church, right? But I was thinking of me and my husband. Or if you're married in this place, you think of your spouse. They know you better than any other person. They know you intimately more than any other person. It is an amazing relationship that you have with your spouse. And then if you think of your best friend, 
the people that you laugh with. I mean, like, you get a tummy ache because you're laughing so hard, and maybe tears come down your face because you're laughing so hard. You guys are cute. Those are special friendships. And then I think of maybe my children. And some of you in this room don't have children. Some of you do. Some of you will shortly. Or you do in the womb. That one counts. <laughs> but think of my children and just how their little face can warm my heart. They don't have to do anything special. They don't have to be anything. They just are, and it warms my heart. The things that they say, the things that they do. I mean, it's so cute. And I'm always so proud of them. Like parents, we are proud of our children for silly things that you probably wouldn't be proud of my children for, you know, like drinking out of a cup instead of a bottle, like, like little things. You see that and you're just so proud. You're filled with all this joy in your heart. And I'm thinking about these different relationships in my life. And I'm like, man, they're all just a picture of me and Jesus. It's all just a picture of what God wants with us a small picture. And I'm telling you right now, all of the things that I named, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever you are in this place, if you are closer to your spouse, if you are closer to your best friend, if you are closer to your children than you are to Jesus, you're doing something wrong. He gave us those relationships to show us who he is. He is a relational God. We preach it all the time. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And then half of us go home and don't even have a relationship with him. Come on. Come on. It's time to embrace Jesus. It is time. And what happens in the natural with the relationships I just talked to? And some of you in this room may have already experienced it with your parents or with your friends or even some sadly people in the world have done with their children is they stop communicating, right? What happens if spouses stop communicating, if they stop filling each other's love tank, if they stop spending time with each other, your heart will grow away from that person. What happens with friends, many of you probably have experienced this, seasons where you're closer to one person and maybe you just stop talking for a while, you're not as close anymore because you haven't been communicating, you haven't been hearing their hearts, you haven't been listening to what's going on in their life and sharing what's going on in yours. You sever the relationship. Why is it any different with God? People who call God friend, my father, all these things, and they're not spending time with him. They stop communicating with him. You're severing that relationship. And that is a dangerous place to be because the Bible tells us to walk in the spirit, right? Walk by the spirit. The Bible commands us to keep watch, to pray. You can't do any of that unless you know what God is saying. There is no way to stay in step with the Spirit if you are not in communication with God. You will not know what the Spirit is saying in your situation. You have to stay in step with the Spirit by prayer, watching, 
being close to Jesus, reading his word, a devotional life. I know it's the basics, right? But the basics are the basics for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're already in this thing 20 years, 50 years. It doesn't matter. The basics, the foundation is still the same. It doesn't change. Reading your Bible, prayer, spending time with Jesus, it doesn't change. And we have to take it serious this morning, especially as Bible college students or people in ministry, because the moment that you choose to go to Bible college, the statistics are already against you. Obviously, it doesn't have to be that way. You can make it with Jesus, right? You can do anything with Jesus. But the statistics stand against you. According to George Barna, it says, Our surveys indicated that 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses are discouraged or are dealing with depression. More than 40% of pastors and 47% of their spouses report that they are suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, and unrealistic expectations. And we estimate that approximately 1,500 pastors leave their assignment each month due to moral failure, burnout, or contention within their local congregation. 1,500 pastors a month. You would think that would be a yearly number. A month stepping out of ministry for moral failure, for burnout. How do you stay away from moral failure? By keeping his word in your heart, by knowing what he's saying, by spending time with him and staying in step with the spirit. It's not rocket science. I have confessed to you before when I was preaching that I had to step down from ministry for a time. And different people in our church have had to do that. And I am thankful for godly discipline. I'm thankful for a good church that knows how to restore people. But I have the fear of God right now because I know if I were to fall right now, if I were to make the same mistake I made back then, it would be a much harder fall this time than it was last time. The higher you get in ministry, the more time you are in ministry, the harder you will fall in a moment. So what is my defense against my flesh? What is my defense against the devil? I'm telling you, it starts in my prayer closet. And it's the same thing for you. It starts in your prayer closet. So we need to get woke and stay woke. Don't fall asleep. Get woke is the modern way to say be alert. <laughs> be watchful. <laughs> Watch and pray. Amen? A.K.A. be woke. <laughs> Pastor Joe talked about honor last week, and I'm really excited to hear the rest of that series that's going on. And one of the things that stood out to me as he was asking us, we're all young in this room. We're probably all millennials, maybe. I'm not sure what comes after me. What are you guys? Generation Z. All right, we're millennials, and we're Generation Z in this room. And the thing that he said was one of the things, one of the ways that we do not show honor in our two generations is we don't honor the people that have come before us. 
And if he were to ask us in the room, who are your favorite preachers, some of y'all would be like, Stephen Furtick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All your faces are so funny. But they might be someone who's still living. Someone that you see and say, hey, that's my hero. Some of you might just say, Joe Wyrostek is my favorite preacher. <laughs> is that what you just said? <laughs> uh, but that's good, too. You need to honor him, too. But he was referring to as his heroes. David Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill, Lester Summerall, Dr. Michael Brown. He's still alive, but my goodness, he's doing awesome. Billy Graham, and who just went to be with Jesus, Reinhard Bonnke. These men of God and women of God who have done it without failure, without disqualifying themselves from the ministry. What we need to ask as millennials and Generation Zs, what was their secret? What was it? I can guarantee, I can guarantee that they had a good prayer life that they had a good devotional life. And I know you said, Joe, did he say Joe Wyrostek was his favorite preacher? Okay. <laughs> okay. But even if you did, he has the same thing in his life, prayer life, devotional life. That is what we need to be. We don't need to be another statistic. Amen? Amen. So like I was saying, the foundation is... Prayer. We go through the 101 book. A lot of us in this room are elders or deacons, and we teach the 101 book, or many of you, all of us have gone through it at least. The first lesson is the basics, going to church, prayer, reading your Bible, Christian friendship. That never gets old. That never, never gets old. Another awesome quote by Leonard Ravenhill. He said, a man is only as great as his prayer life. He also said, the pastor who is not praying is plain, and the people who are not praying are strain. Come on. Get woke. A praying man, we've all heard this one, a praying man stops sinning, and a sinning man stops praying. You want to keep yourself from sin from being able to overcome temptation every time, seeing your family members saved, seeing revival come. What is holding it back? It's men and women who call themselves Christians and aren't praying. The Bible is very clear with us that if we would humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, God would heal our land. Why is it being held back from us right now? Why are we seeing this demonic agenda take over and the church is all quiet in the corner being seeker sensitive? They lack this understanding, the basics. They're not doing the basics. They're not having a prayer life. Let's turn to Mark 14, 32. And I know that we've been going through a series in our church on Sundays in the book of Matthew, and we've gone through these stories. And I just want to highlight a few things from some other Gospels. In Mark 14, 32 through 42, 
This is Jesus. He's about to go and be crucified and betrayed. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. Come on, do you want to be those three that Jesus takes along with you? Better not be like them and fall asleep, though. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. I mean, you just had the Messiah tell you that his soul was troubled to the point of death. All he wanted you three to do that are closest to him, to sit here, watch, pray, wait for me. Stay awake, stay alert, be ready. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not my, what I will, but, you, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? You think he didn't know? <laughs> I love Jesus. I love how he asks like questions. Like, are you asleep right now? <laughs> I do that to my husband all the time. Like, he's clearly knocked out. Like, hey, are you sleeping? You good? <laughs> hey, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Can you imagine being them? Can you imagine, like, Jesus coming back the second time? It's like, we would, like, you would, like, like, get up. He's coming, you know? But what would you say to him? Like, man, like, we did it again. I could imagine them. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Hear the sarcasm. Like, are you guys well-rested now? Like, I'm glad you guys got your rest. Like, now can we go? Like, I'm about to get arrested. I'm about to be betrayed. But glad you got some rest, you know? Glad you fell asleep and you're ready. We know later on in the story that Peter goes on to deny Jesus, right? That was his temptation in the moment. And what did Jesus say to him? Can you not just pray for an hour? Can you not just watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. And I just wonder, I just wonder if Peter, maybe the other two could fall asleep, but if Peter stayed awake that one hour, if he watched, if he prayed as the Lord commanded him to do, when his temptation come, came, just maybe he wouldn't have denied the Lord. Maybe he would have been strong, ready, because his spirit would have been strong. Come on. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Matthew 25. This parable is about the ten virgins, and I know we learned about it. I know that the final part of this this uh, story, this parable, it has to do with judgment. Some people will be sent to hell. 
Matthew 25, 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Once again, we see that they fell asleep. Maybe the ones that didn't bring that oil in the first place, maybe if they would have stayed up, they could have, you know, went back and got some extra oil before the Messiah came, before the bridegroom came. But they weren't woke. They fell asleep. They weren't able to watch and pray. They weren't ready. And we know how the story goes on. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. All right? You can't have mine. See, I took time to get mine. I've been alone with Jesus. I've got mine. And this is it, right? He said, what you do in secret, he will reward in public. I've been in the secret place. You can't come now and borrow my oil. You got to go and get your own. You have to be able to have your own relationship with Jesus. You have to be able to be in your own prayer closet. I can't pray things for your life like you can. I can't loose and bind things in your life the way that you can. It's going to have to come out of your own mouth. Come on, be ready. Be alert. Watch. Pray. The 201 book tells us 12 reasons that we pray. It says, your soul will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are given strength to overcome every obstacle. You are convicted, to sin, uh, convicted of sin and given a clean heart. You receive wisdom and understanding. God's power can flow through you. The lost are convicted of sin and saved. The nations are changed and brought to God. Your faith is made strong. God's presence comes into your life, your home, your community, and your church. So, see, I want to stop right there. Some people are like, why aren't we seeing demons casted out? Why don't we see this? Why don't we see that? Girl, go home and pray. Go. <laughs> you want to see something happen? Go pray. Go ask God. Amen? Healing comes to the hurting. Peace and joy come to the depressed. And your mind is renewed. That is 12 reasons why we watch, why we pray, why we spend an hour a day with Jesus. Each and every single one of us should be spending an hour a day with the Lord. And you'll come to find out once you start doing that consistently that an hour is not enough. An hour is never enough. Let's go to Luke 12, 35 through 40. Again, at the end, this one has to do with judgment. But I want to 
point out something here. The title of the top of here says watchfulness. It says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they will immediately open the door for him. It goes on to talk about how the the roles switch. The master then starts to serve his servants. But what I want to focus on in that moment is that they didn't have to go and clean up a little bit before opening the door. Maybe when you guys get someone to come over to your house unexpectedly, you know, you see them at the door, you're like, oh, snap. Like, one minute, <laughs> run upstairs, you know, take your eye makeup off, you know, do something and make yourself presentable. <laughs> it's all under your eyes. Clean up your living room real quick. I forgot to clean. You weren't ready. You weren't ready for a visitor. Have you ever been to someone's house and you're knocking on the door, you're ringing the doorbell, and no one, obviously no one's home, nobody's coming to open? How long do you wait there? <laughs> he has a time. <laughs> Five minutes and 30 seconds, I wait for them to open the door, and then I walk away. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Five minutes is a long time. See, I have, like, Comcast people coming. To, man, I have so many solicitors. I need to be, like, no soliciting. Unless you're a Jehovah Witness. That's what I'm going to put on there. <laughs> Unless you are from a false religion, please do not solicitate. But I have, like, Comcast coming to my door. I have, um, you know, energy saver people coming to my... They, they're just everywhere. Bug people. They want to spray my lawn. They want to spray my house and get rid of the spiders. That's what happens when you live in the suburbs. <laughs> They're like, you got money, you need this, and you need this. You need new siding. Like, what are you talking about? So sometimes I don't answer the door. I'm like, kids, go over there, hide. <laughs> don't you dare, because I have, like, open window. And if you walk, if you come into my house, you can see through it. I need to get something for that. But I'm just like, dude, and all my kids are like, oh. Because <laughs> you hear the doorbell, naturally kids want to run. But eventually that Comcast person goes away. Eventually, the bug person goes away. They're not going to stand there forever. Why do we think Jesus is going to stand at the door forever if we're not ready when he's there? We need to be ready to open that door immediately. How do you get ready, saints? You get ready in your prayer closet. You get ready with this word right here. So in the moment that he comes, the Bible says he will come like a thief in the night, right? When he physically comes you'll be ready. And even in your own life, overcoming temptation, having the power of God, all of those things, you are ready in season and out of season. You're prepared. You're prepared to rebuke the devil. You're prepared to bind and loose. You're prepared because you have been faithful in your prayer closet. Come on. Even Jesus said, while he was on this earth, I can do nothing without my Father. Why do we think that we can do anything without him? He is our greatest example of prayer. He is our greatest example of consecration before God. He is our greatest example, and we need to follow in his footsteps. There are opportunities that God is setting you up for. 
I believe every day there are opportunities for you to bring God glory, to do things, you know, like maybe pray for someone on the street. I remember when I first got saved, Griselda actually uh, mentored me. Yeah, awesome, right? Some of the people that mentor you become your peers. Pretty awesome. I mean, she did a good job. She's awesome. But I was with, did you mentor him? He's trying to tap you. He's like, <laughs> mentor. <laughs> TJ and Lawrence. See, that's awesome, man. Praise God. Praise God. So I remember, man, when we first got saved, and we probably should still be this way. Maybe this is like a rebuke for us right now that I'm about to say. But, man, we would be walking down the street. But at that time, you know, we didn't have kids. We didn't have husbands. And we would see anybody. I mean, you could be limping. It would be like, can we pray for you? We want to see you healed right now in Jesus' name. Like, we would not care. <laughs> we would not care. Man, my first question for every person that I would meet when we would go to evangelizing, because practicum, evangelism was my practicum, we would go to the diversity projects. We would go, um, where's, I think they tore them down maybe. Not, not Cabrini Green, no. It was another one by, um, there's a Costco over there. Okay, Div division? What'd you Div yeah, it's diversity, but the diversity, oh, these are diversity houses, so it is the diversity projects, right? Yes, my first question all the time, it didn't matter who you were, I was like, did you ever deal with witchcraft? Were you ever involved in witchcraft in any way? Like, I wanted to cast out demons, dude. I was like looking for them, looking for them. Like, I'm gonna find you, and I'm gonna cast you out right now. Like, are you sick? I want to pray for you. Like, dude, we were passionate. But I do believe that there are opportunities for each one of us every single day that God is preparing for us to do. He is setting us up, and we have to be prepared. We will miss those opportunities if you are not where you're supposed to be in your prayer life. You will miss them every single time. I think of someone like David and Goliath. David was just a shepherd boy. He was doing what God told him to do. And when he went to the battlefield that day, he did not go with the intention of fighting. What was he doing? He was just listening to his father. His father told him, go check on your brothers. See if they're all right. David went with the intention of that. And when he got there, an opportunity became available for him. And because... He was busy doing what God told him to do for those years, being a shepherd boy, looking after the sheep, protecting the sheep. He was ready in that moment for the opportunity that God gave him. He was not scared, and he put all those big men to shame. Can you imagine a child coming up? Saul tried to put some armor on him. He didn't even need that. He's like, it's so uncomfortable. I don't need this. He had everything that he needed because he was already prepared. And he saw him and he's like, who the heck does this joker think he is? He's talking about my God. I know my God. I've been with him. I've seen what he has done. He's been faithful to people. He is, he's a good God. Why is this joker talking about him right now? And why are all you guys scared? He was ready. And he killed him with one little stone right in his forehead. You guys have to be ready for the opportunities that God is preparing you for. And the way that you get ready is on your knees before your creator. 
Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Come to the front. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I really feel in my heart and my spirit just for myself personally. I really want to go into just a season, a, a legit season of just consecration before Jesus. I just want to be so close to him. I want to hear what he's saying. I want to hear what he wants to do in my life, in your life, in this city, in this nation. I mean, I want to go after Jesus. I just want to be with him. And I want you guys to join me as we go into this year of 2020. <laughs> I know it's so easy. It's so easy to say like 2020 vision, but it's true. <laughs> TJ, if you can move this, please. Thank you. It is so true. I just want my eyes to be focused on Jesus. So if you are in this room right now and you have not been preparing yourself in the prayer closet the way that you should have been, I just want you to repent to Jesus right now.